Hi there, I'm Caroline Thor, professional organiser, KonMari consultant, teacher and mum of three. I started off my life as a mum feeling overwhelmed, disorganised and desperately trying to carve out some time for me amongst the nappies, chaos and clutter. One day, one small book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying changed everything and I began to learn strategies for making everyday life easier. Today I have the systems in place that means life can throw almost anything at me and I want to share them with you. If you're an overwhelmed mum struggling to keep it together, then this is the podcast for you. Grab a coffee and settle in for a quick chat with someone who gets your reality. Hello and thanks for joining me today. It's wonderful to have you here listening. Before we get started on today's episode, a couple of things I wanted to tell you about. I'm loving engaging with you all on Instagram and Facebook, so keep the messages coming. It's really interesting to hear what your main pain points at home are and it's informing future episodes, so keep the information coming. It's great. And secondly, I have put together so many resources now and they're all available for you on my website. You just need to go to caroline-thor.com forward slash explore and there you can access all of the free resources that I've created for you to help you create your clutter-free ever after. Today's episode is a really special one. I have got to talk to an old school friend who I have not had contact with since we were about 18, 19 years old. I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, otherwise you'll be working out how old I am. And we were both together in the UK in primary school and then later in sixth form and shared a lot of hobbies together. So over the years, we had a lot to do with each other. But my friend Jane, who you will hear in a moment, moved to the States a long time ago and unfortunately has developed MS since she has been there. And I've been following her story on Facebook over the years and um, keeping in touch with how things are going for her. And unfortunately, she's now reached a point in her illness where she is wheelchair bound. And I thought this was a wonderful opportunity to raise awareness for multiple sclerosis through my podcast but also to hear about some of the challenges that someone in a wheelchair faces in terms of having to reorganise things to make life possible for them in their homes so that they can maintain their independence. I'm really grateful to Jane for taking the time to talk to me on this topic. She's brutally honest about how things are for her and I really appreciate that honesty because I think it helps um, everyone understand how it is to be in this situation. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. I loved having the chance to reconnect with her after all this time and I hope it raises some awareness. One thing I should just say is that when I came to edit this podcast, we recorded it on Zoom, which I always do with guests and then I I have available to me an audio file and a video file. So I only use the audio file For some reason, after this recording, there was no audio file available and the nice people at Zoom spent ages trying to sort out the problem for me and ended up saying they couldn't. So what I have done is replayed the video so that the sound was in the room and I then re-recorded it into another Zoom meeting 
And that is the audio file that I now have. So if it sounds a bit weird at times, that's the reason why the quality is perhaps not as good as it usually is. So sit back and enjoy this episode. So welcome to Jane. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Now, Jane, we have known each other or known of each other for a lot of years. I'm trying to think where we first met. It must have been in primary school in the UK. Yes. Um, Crescent School. Yeah, Crescent School. We were were we five when we started there? I think so. Yes. So we've known each other since we were five and you're now living in the States. How long have you been living there now? I've been living in the States for 24 years. Wow. I moved, yeah, I moved to San Francisco when I was 23. And then I moved to Minneapolis two years ago. Fantastic. So uh, for those people listening, we, we can actually see each other at the moment. We're recording this on Zoom, so we can actually see each other on the video, even though we're not, not using that. So um, it's the first time we've seen each other since probably we were 18, 19 years old. So it's it's crazy the amount of time that's passed. And yeah, it seems like no time at all. I know. I know. The one is the <laughs> Facebook that have kept us in touch over the years. It's yeah. absolutely mad. So you and I were at primary school together. Then we went our separate ways and we ended up back at the same school for our sixth form in the UK for taking our A-levels. But all that time we were playing together in orchestras. Yes. And you were playing viola and I yep. was playing cello at the time. Yeah. And, um, and that's how we spent our free time playing in orchestras oh we did we did really well do you remember we were in a quartet once I do and do you remember we won a competition and we got to play in London yes that crazy things yes Yes. (laughs) totally crazy and now look at us here we are (laughs) here we are you're in Germany yeah I'm in America oh man and I'm dying my gray hair Yes, likewise, <laughs> likewise. So, so much has changed since then. So the reason I've reached out to you um, to be a guest on this particular episode is because um, since I knew you, you have had a diagnosis which has been incredibly life-changing for you. Would you like to just explain a bit of your backstory? Uh, yes, of course. So when I was 27, I was um, diagnosed with um, relapsed remitting multiple sclerosis, which is the form of MS that comes and goes. And then um, about five years ago, I had a new diagnosis of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which is the form that cha- relapsed remitting changes into, and it just gradually progresses um, and gets worse. Um, To cut a long story short, basically the last five years, my health has um, deteriorated quite significantly. And um, now I am full time in a wheelchair and on disability. So I'm unable to work and um, unable to drive and unable to stand. So my life has changed a great deal in the last few years. 
Absolutely. And you've moved not so long ago. You you relocated. Yeah, we relocated two years ago. So it's been really challenging. I was actually, the last five years, my my walking just kind of deteriorated quite quickly. And then it was two years ago. It was when, just after we relocated here, that I um, became um, needing to be in a wheelchair full time. So that has been a challenge in itself because I'm in a new state mm-hmm. with I don't really know anyone here and I'm not working and I'm not driving. So there's a lot of kind of mental and emotional stuff that I'm dealing with as well as physically um, dealing with. So yeah, the last couple of years have definitely been a challenge. Yeah, you're not kidding. Okay, (laughs) so what I specifically wanted to talk to you about today is how how you've had to adapt things, how how being organized or organization has been part of that journey in order to make life more accessible and easier for you now that obviously you're you're more sort of located at home than you previously were. So what are the main challenges you face within the home situation now that you're actually in a wheelchair full time? Well, luckily kind of lucky, unlucky, just kind of how it worked out was that when we moved to Minneapolis, we didn't have a house to live in. So we needed to find a home. And we looked at two different areas in the, of different areas. One of the areas was very kind of historic and these beautiful little um, cottages with lots of like steps and doors and just really pretty and lots of character. Mm-hmm. And then we also looked in a kind of traditional American suburb with of brand new houses. So of course I wanted to live in the super cute historical pretty area, but because my walking had already gotten bad enough that I was using two crutches and walking very slowly, and we knew that a wheelchair might be on the horizon we did make the decision to move into a new house. Okay. So as a result of that, the new house that we bought is on one level. So we were lucky in that we didn't have to do navigate dealing with stairs in the house. Yeah. So we one of the first things that we did do, though, was that there was stairs getting from the garage um, into the house. So we had a ramp built for that. Um, but with regards to organization, um, and when you hear about it, it's actually quite obvious, but it's the learning curve that I think is really interesting. It's about making everything at the height that I can get it. Yeah. Right. And so when I say it, you're like, oh yeah. So for example, I created, um, my own drawer in the kitchen and in my, so it's my height so that I can easily open it. And that's like Jane's drawer. And in that drawer, I have my cutlery and my bowls and my plates. And then I have my snacks and I have um, any kind of bits and bobs that I might want to access quickly. Um, So I have them right there at my height because there's nothing more annoying than my partner leaving for work and me wanting a drink. I can't reach the glasses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's not a case of 
stretch higher. It's that I just can't. So that's kind of one of the biggest things that I did straight away. And I also did that in the refrigerator. Oh, right. So we emptied out one of the um, kind of salad drawers and that became my drawer. And then the shelf above it became my shelf. So I have, we actually have two of some things in the fridge. So we'll have like two butters, one's up high in the butter place. And then I have my own on my rack. And then in the drawer, I keep the things that I kind of access regularly, like the berries and um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I have, so I have my, um, my drawer and then my space in the refrigerator. So those are kind of two like really easy solutions that I actually heard about when I was in hospital. Um, after I came here, I was in hospital for a few weeks and I did occupational therapy there. And that was one of the things that occupational therapist recommended. And I was mind blown. So those are some of the things. Um, another thing that um, is really helpful with organization, uh, a kind of day-to-day things. So for example, I have a lot of weakness in my hands. So I'm unable to open jars or open um, open anything really. I can't really hold any utensils or hold, or I don't have any grip. Mm-hmm. So organizing like my partner will open stuff for me the day before and then put like the easy little tin um covers on yeah um you know like the little ones that you put over pet food yes the little plastic lids yeah yeah Yeah. because I can't do like Tupperware it's too hard for me to open Jane I don't think I don't think anyone can do Tupperware. I couldn't get the lid on yesterday. <laughs> it's a universal problem. Use my teeth. And then I'm like trying to hold it. But I can't. Yeah, exactly. So like, so stuff like that. But those are the kitcheny ones. Yeah. I mean, and it's really interesting you should say that because I, I don't think it even applies just to people with disability I I work with so many families where they're like my kids never hang their coat up or they never help in the kitchen but actually there's nothing at that child's height that they would be able to help the the place for hanging their coat up is so high that they can't reach it the plates you want them to use to set the table with are at a height they can't reach Um, it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about that regardless of whether someone has a disability or not, you need to make sure that every member of the household can access the stuff they need in order to be able to to function within the space. Yeah, it's so funny that you said that, actually, because we have two rows of hooks. So we have like the, you know, hooks for the normal, you know, tall people. And then I have mine underneath now. Yeah. Kind of like at elementary school and you have yeah. them like at kids height. I did that because I wanted to feel some sort of independence and I don't always want to ask for help. Yeah. And I also and I also get really frustrated when I have to try and like whip the coat off a tall high hanger. Yeah. Because I'm like flicking it up and flicking it up and then I just get frustrated and then that 
is is probably very similar to having a a youngster in the house actually I hadn't even really considered it like that but so yeah so I have my own hooks and for peas as well I like to feel included um uh one thing and this is also similar to having young people in the house is that I have to have light plates because I can't hold stuff so I have bamboo or um plastic plates so that I can so I don't rock them yeah and I can I keep them in my special drawer. Um, and then I drink out of a beaker as well so that I don't drop that. Um, one thing that I do in the dining room is um, we've removed the chairs from one side of the table so that I can just reel up um, at any any time. Yeah. And I don't have to make the effort to move a chair. So the chairs just sit in the corner now and one side of the table is just like accessible for me. Yeah. Um, and then we also put a one of those big plastic mats on the ground that you get for offices. Um, and one of the reasons for that is, and this is just one of those things, because I don't have much dexterity or um, strength in my arms, I do tend to drop a lot of food. And so that just saves the rug underneath it um, and it just it's easier for my wheelchair to slide up so there's like practical things like that that you don't necessarily think of until you're in the situation another one that I think is interesting is the height of mirrors because I've not thought of that yeah right because a lot of mirrors unless it's a long mirror a lot of mirrors are kind of shoulder and head height so um so we got a long mirror that's in the hallway um so that I can always see myself and then in the bathroom what I did was I got one of those um kind of smaller mirrors and it's not a handheld small mirror but it's on a little stand Mm -hmm. so that I can bring it to the edge of the counter so I can see because you know when you're putting on makeup or you're looking at yourself in the mirror sometimes you'll lean forward and stick your face in the mirror yeah to see what you look like like I can't do that mm-hmm. so that means I can bring a mirror to the face yeah so that's an another little thing that I figured out and things like also having your I would imagine having these like toothbrushes and toothpaste on the sink level so not up on a shelf or somewhere so that you can access stuff like that yourself as well yeah definitely and then towels um I've always had towels in a in a nice kind of towel cupboard that's been you know kind of chest height or and then going up high we Mm -hmm. have them in a bottom cupboard now so that I can get a new towel whenever I need to with the bathroom um we had to do some work in the bathroom we had to replace the shower glass with just actually just with a curtain okay um just because I couldn't get in and out of the shower. Um, in an ideal world, if you're in a disabled um, house, you'd have a wet room shower that you could just yeah. kind of roll into. Unfortunately, we don't have that, and it's not in our budget to have one at the moment. So I have a kind of slidey seat. So my husband will kind of pick me up and put me on the slidey seat and then slide me into the shower. So there's tons of those kind of bathroom 
um, tools that you can buy. Um, unfortunately, they're really ugly. They're yeah. all this like hospital grade gray color. Well, I don't know why someone hasn't invented cute stuff yet. Disabled bathrooms. I don't, I'm sure that's an untapped market. Well, there you uh, go. That's something for you to work on. <laughs> right. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard people. it here. Jane's <laughs> developing bathroom furniture. It's the way forward, Jane. Right. I'm going to make my millions. And then the other thing, this is another thing, which you, I don't know if this is organizational as much, Caroline, and steer me in the right direction. Um, but like the shower, you needed to replace the shower on the wall with like a long handle one so that I could hold the handle yeah. and get showered because otherwise it's so far away from me. I was like having to kind of dodge around to get under the water. It's the, it's the small practical things that until you're in that position are just not going to be apparent. Exactly. So, so you were saying you you had this idea about the drawer in the kitchen from the um, lady at the hospital that was working with you. How mm. much advice and support is there out there for people in your situation? So say specifically people who have MS that's developing um, in order to give you ideas and give you support? I honestly don't really know the answer to that. I tend to think that you have to look for the answers. Um, but I think it's it's almost one of those kind of things that until you're living with it, you don't know about it. Like there aren't lots of, I just don't see, it's almost, it's like everyone figures it out for themselves yeah. as they're in the situation, but no one really is sharing the information with other people. And I don't know if it's because there's not enough people to make it profitable or what. I just happened to be lucky in inverted commas that when I was in hospital, I received this occupational therapy and physical therapy every day for a couple of weeks. Um, and one of the things that they did was teach me how to use a kitchen. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it, there's a lot of resources out there for people. It's crazy, isn't it? Because, I mean, everyone's then having to reinvent the wheel and go on their own journey of, of researching and surfing the internet for hours on end, trying to find what other people have done and what's a good solution. Um, it would almost make sense for there to be some sort of central bank of information. Yeah. yeah. And there might be that I just haven't found that. I think it's just one of those things. It's kind of like if you happen to get lucky with your doctor, then you'll find this information. Or if you're lucky with your teacher, you hear about this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it's a strange. And I wonder if it's one of those things that people just don't really like talking about mm. because it's hard for people or, you know, something you just kind of pretend that isn't really happening. And perhaps from, from people themselves, sort of in denial yeah. about the fact this is what actually is happening to them and that they don't perhaps want to necessarily adapt their homes until they absolutely have to as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then I also think, yeah, I mean, it's it's painful for people to see loved ones and friends go through it. And then I think it's hard for the person going through it 
to necessarily share really what's going on because I I don't know um I don't know like sometimes if I I fall sometimes and I don't want people to know that I've fallen like I, I fall out of my bed sometimes or I'll fall off my wheelchair sometimes and I and it's like I get embarrassed about it mm-hmm. but then I think about like why on earth am I embarrassed that I fell out of my wheelchair like it wasn't my fault and I didn't do it on purpose yeah. but I feel like I'm not a as a good enough person or I'm not strong or I'm weak somehow for being upset about it or talking about it and that no one really wants to hear about that hour I lay on the floor crying you know what I mean so it's like we don't talk about that but we'll celebrate that she got back up someone picked her back up and let's but everything's better now so it's great yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) human human nature a bit Definitely. We, we don't like sharing our weaknesses unless, uh, unless we absolutely have to. But I think, you know, in, in your situation, certainly, the, there's no reason to be embarrassed. It's just, unfortunately, one of those things that comes along with the illness and its, its development. Yes, yes, I know it is. But there's also almost um, a school of thought, especially in California, that in California, a lot of people practice the belief that like, your thoughts control, your thoughts direct your life. Mm-hmm. So if you're having positive thoughts, you have a positive life. And I definitely believe there's a huge amount of truth to that. Mm-hmm. But it can, on the flip side, it can make someone like me who's having a hard time with an illness feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. If, because I have got the illness. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I must have done something wrong. I must have thought the wrong way or yeah. I wouldn't have gotten poorly. Who knows? And unfortunately, in your situation, no amount of positive thoughts is necessarily going to improve the situation when it's it's got to the stage that it has now. Exactly, exactly. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, one thing that you just reminded me of, though, is organisation in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just flip-flopping no, no. back. Flip away. Um, <laughs> is um, on the side of my bed, I have a railing, which is really purposeful for a couple of reasons. I find it really, really hard to roll over now because I'm basically paralyzed from the waist down. But I also don't have a lot of strength in my arms either. And I don't have any strength in my torso. So basically, I have kind of arms and chest strength. So I find it really hard to roll over in bed because it's very frustrating because I'm a side sleeper. So having the railing on the side of my bed is fantastic because I can kind of pull myself onto it and roll onto my side. And the other good thing about that is it has like little um, places for me to put things. So I can keep like a little aromatherapy. I keep a little lavender in there and I keep... um, my glasses and um, I can put my phone in there and so that's super handy because then I'm not having to stretch yeah onto a bedside table that's a really good piece of organization I love that yeah Yeah, I would recommend that too and it's actually funny because my son who's at university the university recommended that the kids on the top bunk use these same railings to help them stop to stop them from falling out of bed, mm-hmm. out of the top bunk. And um, 
and I saw one of the moms post the exact one that I have. And she was like, my daughter loved it. She could keep all her things in it. And I was like, there you go. You see, we're the same. University yeah. kids and disabled <laughs> mums. Living, so living my best life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I really, but that's a really, I really like that. And it feels really nice just to have like my little aromatherapy because then in, if I wake up and sometimes I get a bit stressed or, you know, anxious, um, I can have a little sniff of my lavender and I'm like, ah, calms you down again. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I know you've got a couple of two dogs. Yes. Yeah. So how do you manage with those during the day? Uh, do well, you that, have do you have sort of snacks for them or treats or how does that work? Yes, that's a very good point. So one of them is an old an old lady. She's an 11-year-old chihuahua, so she doesn't do much except sleep and be cute yeah. and bark sometimes. But we also have a one-year-old big mutt puppy. Oh, fantastic. So he's great. It's only a lot of hard work. So we have um, every evening or, like, yeah, the fridge gets stocked up with um, little bones with peanut butter inside them so that he gets to play on them. And then those Kongs. Yeah, they're good. You know, which you can put stuff in. And then just lots of toys and lots of bones. And then um, one of the things that is challenging, I think, for people who have disabilities is that I'm on disability because I can't work anymore because I get really tired and I sleep most afternoons and I um, can't always think very straight I have Mm -hmm. kind of muscled and um disjointed thoughts yeah um and so working so we're not necessarily in the wealthiest um you know in the wealthiest section of society and yet um there are certain things that I think um people with disabilities really need like to be able to have a dog to keep them company yeah so we um we did just hire a neighbor who's going to come um, couple, two or three times a week to walk Henry the puppy um, at lunchtime. Um, so that's not costing very much. And that's going to be super great because otherwise in the middle of the afternoon, regardless of how many treats he's got, he's going a bit crazy. Yeah. At that age, if we're a puppy, he will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so so she's coming to walk him. So that's really good. Um, but other than that, um, the dogs are really good. And it's actually super interesting. The dogs are really good with me. Okay. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, I, I fell out of bed and I was lying down. And so the little chihuahua came and snuggled up, tucked herself right next to me. And then Henry, the big dog who was in his crate, just kind of pecked just checking on me by like, like talking to me. So the dogs oh. are very sensitive to me, which is really sweet. Um, but one of the things that we've done in the house is we don't have many rugs anywhere in the house. Yeah. And that's not really because of the dogs, that's because of my wheelchair, but it does help as well. Um, it does help with the dogs, but it, aesthetically it's not quite as pleasing yeah if I 
wasn't in a wheelchair, I'd love to have some great rugs everywhere, but you can't have it all. But rugs is something that, you know, you can trip over or your wheelchair gets caught on. Or Yeah, I seem to remember that you had posted something, I think it was probably about a year or so ago, about clothing for people with disabilities. So when you're starting to find it difficult to sort of be as mobile to get on clothes, you know, if they've got buttons and zips and all, all of that sort of stuff, how are you finding that side of things? Because I know you have, you've always had such style and um, you <laughs> clothes have always seemed to be something that are very important to you. So how are you, how are you finding that? Um, that is really challenging. Um, that's a, a part of the dis- disability world that I have done quite a lot of research on, and it's a part that needs a ton of work. So, yeah, for me, I can't do buttons, I can't do zippers, I can't do any form of fastenings. So my wardrobe has really changed dramatically, and that's actually really sad for me. Yeah. Because like you said, I loved um, dressing and clothes and style and having fun with clothes. Um, so I've become a way more casual during the week, especially. So Monday through Friday, when I'm just at home, I really am just doing that COVID casual, you know, kind of joggers and loose tops and stuff. And then at the weekends when I tend to go out, um, that's when my that's when I'll dress up a little bit more. There are a few organizations that are trying to change the conversation around disability and clothing. Um, there are a few companies now in America. There's Tommy Hilfiger has an adaptive range. Target, which is our, a huge yeah. supermarket chain that sells everything, they have a um an adaptive range now but that's very limited and very it's almost kind of tokenism it's almost like they're doing it because they think they should I don't know but I mean and it's good that they're doing something but it's eh, it's got a long way to go yeah the trouble is though no, I was just going to say style is such a personal thing as well. And when they're when they're developing a range that is probably very, very limited, the chance that you're going to find something that you actually would like to wear is few and far between, I would imagine. Exactly. And then, no, you nailed it. And then also what you wear in a wheelchair, because you're sitting in a wheelchair in this kind of different um uh, posture it's you kind of have to change what you would wear anyway because yeah. clothes don't hang the same anymore so that's a whole world on its own um there are some there are a few what's it I can't remember off the top of my head I found a few um adapted jeans which are the ones they have like velcro on the sides mm-hmm. um and then they have kind of a looser tummy because um for some people with disabilities, the tummy muscles aren't necessarily as kind of flat as, as if you don't have disability. So you might need a kind of a looser around the tummy. Um, so, yes, it's an interesting. My daughter actually studied it at university. That was what she did her um, 
her dissertation about mm-hmm. was disability in fashion. Um, I personally just want to kind of reinvent the Frida Kahlo look, I think, because she was in a wheelchair. Yes. <laughs> so I need to find someone who can make me some great Frida Kahlo skirts and tops and just do my own version of Frida Kahlo. That would be cool. I can see without appropriation, of course. Yes, my <laughs> my British American version, <laughs> and maybe I'll get a monkey on my shoulder like she did too. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. So you mentioned Emily there, your daughter, and I know you and her have been working on a blog. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes. So we started a blog together about a year ago. She does all of the kind of the background and the editing um, and the kind of organization-y, webby stuff. Um, she says she's going to help write at some point, but I haven't been able to persuade her to yet, but that is the plan. Yeah. Um, the blog is called ABCs of MS, um, and it's really kind of a person's experience with MS, and I broke it down ABCs. Um, each letter just stands for something that I talk about. It's not done in alphabetical order, just mm-hmm. kind of does, it comes up however I think about it. So for example, S is for spasticity, and then I've written about spasticity. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be kind of an informal, real life um, kind of writing about MS, but I'm also quite careful that I don't want to scare people who have just been diagnosed with MS. Um, I don't want to scare them into thinking that they're necessarily going to be in the same situation I am. Because when I was diagnosed with MS um, 21 years ago, there was only there were only three medications for it. Um, whereas today there's a ton of medications. Yeah. So if someone is diagnosed today, their trajectory is very different mine and they have a much better chance of being able to walk and live a a full and fulfilling life Mm -hmm. so I don't want people to be scared off by it but I also kind of how we were talking about earlier I kind of do want people to see what it is really like um, because if You'll see if you were to see me out at a weekend, I might look, oh, there's, oh, she's doing great. And she's, she's just like you or I, and she's in a wheelchair. Look. Yeah. But behind the scenes, there's a whole lot more going on. Yeah. Reality is very different on a day to day basis. Yeah. Yeah. So, where can people find your blog? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people that would be absolutely fascinated to read it. Do you have a website that we can link to or? Yeah, it's just abcsofms.com. Well, that's easy. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah. I, will, I will put the link to that in the show notes so that people who want to find it can. And it, it's been absolutely fascinating just to hear how well and amazingly you've you've adapted your home and your life in order to be able to continue being independent, which I'm sure is the most important thing. Thank you, Caroline. It's my pleasure. Love seeing you again. Yes, it's been great. 
thank you so much for your time and hopefully we will actually meet in person in the not too distant future I think I'm going to have to do a an America holiday at some point I've got so many friends living there now perfect let me know I will do thank you I hope you enjoyed that episode I so enjoyed the opportunity to talk and reconnect with Jane, even if some of the themes were difficult and uncomfortable. But it's really inspiring how Jane is facing the challenges her MS brings. And as I said in the intro, I really appreciated how candid she was about her situation. Hopefully she's inspired you to share her story and help spread awareness of MS and perhaps help other people in a similar situation. Please do so by sharing the link with friends. Until next time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please send the link to a friend you know would appreciate it. Subscribe and leave a review. I look forward to bringing you more organising tips next time. But if you can't wait until then, you can go to my website or find me on Instagram at caro.thor or on Facebook at Caroline Organiser. Thanks for listening and I look forward to guiding you on your journey to find your clutter-free ever after.